1: the most honorable the most audible hold the applause like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital like Antoine when he Boston Celtics podcast on the athletic podcast Network I'm your host Sam jam Packard professional sports fan and I am still absent the kid the God the legend who's just tweeting on and on about his brilliant Greek vacation. Uh, Just really rubbing it in that he's been in Greece for the past month. So instead, I am joined by the other athletic beat reporter for the Boston Celtics. He also covers the NBA. You hear him on the Daily Ding and other athletic podcasts, Jared Weiss. Jared, we have actual basketball to talk about, not just wild speculation. The Celtics have played two preseason games. And I think as members of the uh, NBA media, you uh, much more than me, uh, (laughs) I, me, as a fan, I think it's like in my right right now to just wildly overreact to two preseason games. One against, uh, and I'm sorry to my friend Nick Friedman to say this, uh, a fake basketball team. absolute
2: trash organization right now. With all due respect to Nick, that was embarrassing. Uh,
1: and then they had another game against a uh, a pretty reputable uh, Toronto Raptors team. Uh. I think uh, I was able to go to the game on Sunday uh, and you I, you were at the game on Wednesday against the Raptors. I think the thing – my biggest takeaway from uh, just watching the team in person is this Malcolm Brogdon guy is pretty good at basketball, huh? <laughs> like that guy can, he he's can really, really dribble,
2: man.
1: <laughs> dribble, pass. Like uh, he's just a playmaker to have like that level of playmaking coming off the bench and it's just like – he looks to be a pa- like pass first. I know, again, wild overreactions. It's like a very, very small sample size. But him being on the court, looking to looking to pass, looking to get other guys uh, in good position to score to basketball, it's just looked like, wow, I don't know. Is he just going to dominate this year with like the Celtics' second unit? It's just like having him come off the bench feels like such a luxury that I've already talked to myself into. Like, oh, he's the sixth man of the year, obviously.
2: I mean, I so I have to do this athletic NBA survey, and I have to pick all the awards. I think I'm putting him down, honestly, because uh, I mean, Hero's not going to win again. Like, screw the back to back thing. Jordan is too busy getting punched in the face by Draymond Green to be able <laughs> yeah. to win it. So I feel like Malcolm Bro- Malcolm Brogdon's third in the odds after those three guys. And I mean, it, like, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself on this, but. Malcolm Brogdon may be the greatest point guard to come off the bench of all time. Is that is that too strong? Right <laughs> I don't now? but no, don't want to get ahead of yourself. Don't want to <laughs> overreact. But yes, he, he looks I he able, look, agree a thousand percent. <laughs> he looks he looks really good. He he looks more in sync than I expected. I think that's a big thing. It's just that, you know, the the thing that a point guard generally has to learn when they get to a new team is where is my spacing what what are guys' tendencies like? How do I hit? The, how do I hit a guy in his his shooting pocket, like down by his hip, or does he like it up by his chest, stuff like that? And it looks like he already knows all of it. It looks like he figured it out very very quickly, and so he is just he's getting wherever he wants. And what I like about Brogdon is. He's not someone who needs to, like, get really deep into the paint to make make the play. Like, he's getting right over that screen, and he's immediately throwing that pass. He throws the pass pretty early, and he throws it crisp enough that, like, the pass gets there as if it's a later pass. And so he's just opening up so much room. And I really like they had this one play. I think it was at the end of the first or second quarter. I can't remember when Smart kicked it he kind of like let the clock run down then he kicked it to brogdon in the corner brogdon immediately drove to the middle of the paint and just kicked it to sam hauser so early i didn't even see hauser standing there and neither did the raptors and he had a wide open three at the buzzer and it's like brogdon just you know we, we talked so much last year about how Derek white replacing josh richardson and dennis Schroeder, how he just he moved so quickly we, we saw it in these last couple games like Derek white as soon as the ball hits his hands he's on the move brogdon's kind of doing the same thing And this offense looks like it's speeding up. And so I don't think they're going to win every single game by 40, you know, maybe a little bit less than that. But the one thing that I think is going to allow them to hit the ground running this year is that it looks like their offense is moving even faster than it was last year. And so teams will have to, it'll it'll take defenses some time to adjust and like figure out how to play at the Celtic speed.
1: And the thing about Brogdon, it's not just that he's moving quickly and he's like, he is looking to pass first, but he just, if the, if the lane is there where he needs to drive, the guy, he had a pretty nice drive, I think, on OG where he just like simple crossover got into his chest and like hit a layup. He's scoring when the opportunity is there. It's not like he's completely like looking to away from the basket and he's knocking down. He's taking the open threes when he's there. I think he's just like that much more of a potent scorer than Derek White is. Um, and the fact that he's coming off the bench, uh, it feels like they have such... I mean, if Jalen Brown's just going to be on fire for every first quarter, uh, as 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 he does, and then there's this still this kind of Jason Tatum fellow to kind of, you almost don't even need Malcolm Brogdon in the in the first team offense, and then it just feels like the Celtics in the past where they've had a lot of struggles on the offensive end when Jason Tatum was on the bench. If you can have someone who is this facilitator and not. Um, not have a letdown in scoring when you go to that bench, which I think has been kind of a flaw of the Celtics in the past couple of years. It just feels like a huge um, boon to their offense. And um, again, wild overreactions, but they've had some really great second quarters uh, where, and some of this has to do with just, their, they have more depth, but they have Grant Williams coming off the bench, Hauser, who apparently uh, has never missed a three-point shot, Malcolm Brogdon. <laughs> um, like their, their bench is just, uh it's hard to come, for other teams to compete with that when they when the other teams also go to their bench it seems like the Celtics have, uh, still have like a lot of competent basketball players left out there
2: I think what, what's cool about Brogdon is you look at the other six men in the league, most of them are score first guys like Jordan Poole can make some plays, but he's more of an electric score. Tyler Hero, I think eventually will probably turn into a really good point guard, but he still is just like a decent picker playmaker, who's mostly looking for a shot. It's not often that you have in the, it's not often you have someone that's like a Trey Jones type where he's looking to pass first, but he can also score at all three levels the way Brogdon does. So he's just such a super sub. Uh, but I think what's cool about this that we're seeing so far is that they could put him out there with lineups where nobody else is that high level of a creator. Like you could probably get the Jays out of the game at the same time and put Brogdon out there with smart and a bunch of shooters and make that work. Uh, I think what will be interesting is we haven't seen Brogdon work, work with like a, one of the good pick and roll guys that much yet. And so I'm really wondering, like, how good of a score can he be if he has a role man who's blowing up the paint? Obviously, like Horford's decent at it. Um, Rob is really good at it. Grant isn't really there yet. I mean, we can get to Grant later and some stuff he's doing really well, though. But like but I, I just seeing how good Brogdon's looking already, I, I, I there's a lot of potential for them to kind of reshape the offense around him.
1: Yeah, and it feels like it's just like a, he was a missing piece for them and makes their offense that much better. And I think the big question is like, how much will their defense kind of slip, especially earlier in the season without Robert Williams? I think it's, they seem to be still kind of working um, pretty well and doing a lot of switching uh, on the defensive end. Again, the Charlotte game is very, very hard to evaluate anything with that regard, just because... <laughs> They didn't, uh, dude. What, what as much of an offensive guru? I was, a, guru I was his, literally watching Freeman it on is. my
2: phone. Yeah, I was watching it on my phone at a wedding. So, like, you were there. What? What the hell happened there? They have the best assistant coach in the NBA, right? So, it's like, why is this happening?
1: It just like felt like the first preseason game. Like, it was just pretty sloppy. But then also, there's like, they're not a lot of talent on the uh, the old Charlotte oh, Hornets God roster. No, there, as soon as God you get no. beyond uh, Kelly Oubre, which uh, is a statement in itself um but it, it like felt like the Celtics were playing solid defense and are pretty connected and that's something you would expect from a, a core that you know went on a deep finals run together and it doesn't feel like adding like Malcolm Brogdon also looks like he knows generally knows what he's doing on the defensive end there's not a lot of guys you have to kind of integrate there um but it's like it, it didn't look like the defense was necessarily in shambles without uh having Robert Williams and so Uh, again, very, very small sample size, but it's like, uh, it's good to see that the Celtics still felt like pretty connected, uh, on the defensive end. And I thought did a a pretty decent job on, uh, Toronto who has a number of uh, more weapons, weapons who are kind of willing to take you off the bounce and try to like take you one-on-one. Uh, and I thought the Celtics did a pretty decent job of them, especially there in the second quarter. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think you can really take any. I'm, I'm choosing not to overreact. I'm going to live in my overreactions and not react to anything that happened in the second half. And I'll be honest, uh, watching last night. On the television, I immediately just turned the turned the game off as soon as it went to overtime. I, just, I was Good. not going to entertain any Good. sort of preseason overtime shenanigans. Tell me about the media section. Uh, how furious was everyone? When, <laughs> we were when that game went on overtime?
2: <laughs> we were all like heads in our hands, really like cheering against the Celtics. We're just like, come on, Raptors, this fucking score. Um, I mean, I I I called for Nick Nurse to be fined for going for <laughs> two. Uh, In uh, in a preseason game down, too. I thought that was an egregious act against basketball kind. And the best part of it was this place was packed and loud. The arena was going off. Soon as this overtime happened, everybody got the hell out of there. It literally literally half of the crowd, which was pretty much at capacity, was gone by the time they even tipped off overtime.
1: Well, everyone, they're smart basketball fans here in Boston. They know that preseason overtime is bad and that uh, no one should support it. But I guess what do you think of, like, the defensive effort from the team? Uh, I, I was going to ask, like, what do you think Rob's – like, not having Rob's impact is going to be? That feels like a dumb question. Their defense is going to be a little bit worse. But, like, how uh, – how much do you think they're going to miss him moving forward or do you think they have enough of like a, a core of just solid defenders that it might not be as big a diff, uh, deal? Yeah they're
2: okay. I mean I, I think they'll probably be uh, around 10th best defense maybe a little bit better than that without him uh they I mean so far their their ball pressure has been pretty good and that's like the big thing that it really it all really comes down to because they got al and al is still a pretty good rim protector he's not great, but he's pretty good. Cornet if they can you know if if they're really doing a good job of like funneling the defense right into Cornet he should be pretty decent when he gets back. And Grant Williams his rim protection isn't quite like where it needs to be for him to be one of the main centers, but he's rebounding really well. And so I I think the one thing that I liked was that it seems like they're rebounding better, especially compared to that first game where they it was a really bad rebounding night for them, especially when they went small. And so you know that that second game uh, it, it seemed like Missoula was trying to test out some of their bigger lineups because the first game was a lot of small lineups. He brought he broke out that Jason Tatum at the five micro ball lineup, which went very poorly. We didn't see that in the second game. But uh, I feel like these first two games, it's like him kind of trying to figure out, like, what are the extremes of the ways that we can operate? But I think at the end of the day, the main thing is going to be they're probably going to switch more one through five. Usually it's like one through four. And then Rob is kind of you know zoning around, trying to figure it out. I think they'll probably just switch everybody. And bringing in Blake Griffin tells me they're going to do that even more because Blake Griffin's main value as a defender is that he can switch. So that that's I think the main thing we'll see that will be different if, to compensate for Rob. And then I wonder if that's working really well. Will they stop dropping even more than they did with Rob out there or they might get Rob um, – you know, less having less of Rob hiding on the weak side and have him actually in the middle of the play more often, so that he can use his length and athleticism to start blowing things up.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. Let's talk about Blake Griffin. I think like the last memory I have of him is the uh, him getting very much exposed in the playoffs when the Nets would switch everything and the Jalen Brown could basically just attack him relentlessly. I don't know if Blake Griffin is a a playoff performer at this point just given that kind of defensive liability but from what I've seen from Noah Vonleh in the preseason or um even Kobeng uh I don't I mean they're, they're clearly different players in different roles but like what is what is a really realistic expectation for like what Blake Griffin's going to give to this Boston Celtics team? Is he just like a kind of a veteran guy who uh, break glass in case necessary? Uh, or is he like, you know, legitimately a, a, a someone who's going to get, you know, a regular amount of minutes on this team, uh, or at least in Rob's absence? Because I just don't know what Blake Griffin has left in the tank other than like a tight five on uh, being an NBA player uh, that he really honed at the just for last festival
2: (laughs) i mean he's bringing the vibes that that's the main role for an end of bench guy and i i think we were we talking about this or i was talking about this on the show recently about how the celtics haven't quite brought in a udonis haslam figure over the last few years they haven't had that vet fun you know that like that vet dude whose main job is clearly to be the culture setter at the end of the very very end of the, the, of the bench they've had al horford in that role but horford is like a primary guy so like you also need a guy that doesn't do anything so like his job is just to make sure that the vibes are immaculate or that he's yelling at everybody to do their job so i i think that will probably end up being blake's role later but right now he's obviously the backup center like he's obviously better than Luke Cornett as much as Cornett when he gets healthy he, he can probably do differently than what Blake is doing like Blake I, I think that because the last time Celtics fans were watching Blake he was getting torched by Jalen Brown that they think he sucks but he was guarding Jalen Brown as a center it's <laughs> like the whole point is that he's capable of doing that and it also he wasn't terrible against Jalen in those moments. Like he actually had a few plays where he defended him pretty well. Just Jalen was absolutely on fire. So, I think Blake is still a credible switching defender at the five. You can take on a lot of different assignments, and he'll be okay. You're probably only going to play him like 20 minutes at the most right now. I think I I, I, pres- I presume that Grant is going to get a lot of minutes. So far, the substitution patterns haven't set it up to make it look that way. But I think that's more Missoula experimenting. Like we saw Noah Vonley. He came in again during the first quarter against Toronto and that he didn't play again, I don't think. So I wouldn't I wouldn't take too much uh, out out of the minutes that Grant's getting at this point. I think he's going to clearly be a pretty featured player. But Blake Blake is definitely going to play a role for this team for sure. And then even after Rob comes back, I still could see him getting minutes like every other night. I think he's still that good. The problem is whether he can shoot the ball. Like last year, he didn't really roll that much. Like they need him to be a roller. He wasn't really rolling that much. He was kind of just like hanging out at the three-point line and he was bricking like most of his shots. So if unless he shoots, you know, unless he like shoots like 30 uh, 38% or something like that, I don't think they're going to be looking at him as a floor spacing option that can play in the middle of the floor compared to Grant, who Grant doesn't play in the middle of the floor as much historically, but I think is starting to move his way over there. So I don't really think Blake is doing anything better at this point than what Grant is doing, and so he probably won't be ahead of him in most situations, but he'll probably be someone that they'll bring in there from time to time once they're at full strength.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Blake Griffin of two years ago was 38% from three. Blake Griffin of last year was 26% from three, and I feel mean, like that has a huge impact on, kind of whether or not they can like, trot him out there and rely on it. He did lead the league in, I think, charges taken last year. So you're right. He's not as uh, terrible in defense. Uh, but, I mean, that's not the the most indicative stats. But it is shows you some old good old-fashioned Kelly Olenek positional defense that uh, I think is valuable.
2: I think that's kind of a bullshit stat because, like, If you're a big, you're taking charges because you can't go up in the air and defend the shot. So, you know, usually that stat is like like Kemba Walker, I think, did it once, like smarts on it because you're guards. It's like you're supposed to do it that way. So if a big is doing it, that tells me he's not willing to go up in the air. Um, But like also... It's 26 of those. It's like if you're you're a center in the NBA, you're supposed to contest like 10 shots at the rim every single night basically. So 26 charges. Yeah, because
1: everyone's expecting you to go up and jump. No one's expecting you to just plant your feet and take uh, (laughs) take that charge. It's a bit of a mind game from a veteran, Blake, who's definitely bringing the vibes. I don't know what he did last night in Toronto, but he said something to Cabangeli that really – made Jason Tatum laugh and made Tom Gelly just be the most confused person I've seen in a long time. Uh, but I'm all for that. That's that's kind of hijinks. I want to look down on the bench and see.
2: I mean, what I really loved about that was that when he, when the beginning of that clip, when fees walking away, you're thinking like, Oh, everyone's having fun. It's a good time. Then they cut to fee and Fee like has his hands over his head. He's like, what the fuck just happened? He looks so, he looks so <laughs> perplexed. I love that.
1: Uh, I think we, I'm shocked. We've gone this far. Uh, Without talking about Sam Hauser, uh, the guy makes a lot of three-point shots, which I don't know if you knew this, is a is an important skill in today's NBA. Um, I don't think he's really been tested defensively, but I don't think he looks bad defensively. But him just being able to space the floor, come off the bench, and give them a, a shooting threat where you have to stay with him the entire time if you are a defense, just because it feels like if he's open, he's going to knock down that three, I think is another kind of uh, – well, just the thing that makes the Celtics bench very interesting from an offensive standpoint. Um, I guess what's what's been your impression of Hauser so far, other than like anointing him, you know, the next Larry Bird?
2: He's at least the next uh, Aaron Nismith, which is what everyone I mean, yeah, needs. He's already done more than Aaron Nismith uh, <laughs>
1: did in his, his Celtics career, but
2: yeah. Well, I, I just I just want to read you something, um, Aaron Nismith. 13 minutes, 51 seconds, 16 points, a game high for the Indiana Pacers in a 122-97 to 97 win over, guess who they beat last night?
1: Uh, The Dallas it, it was Mavericks. A, no,
2: it was a blowout win that should help you very easily. The Knicks? The Charlotte Hornets. Who else? Oh, I should have. Been so, up, <laughs> so the, the point is, is that playing the Charlotte Hornets turns you into an elite Young shooting guard in this league as Aaron Eastwood is about to ascend to and which where Sam Hauser clearly already is may not be a better shooter than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum did have a very thorough logical explanation for why. But the what I do think is real about what Sam is doing, uh, you as well, I'll give you credit for it too, is – the shots he was hitting early in the game were coming under like really heavy contests from the Raptors defenders. The Raptors are like the most aggressive contesting team in the league. They, they try to run you off the line as hard as possible. They jump into the second row just to try to get you off the line. And instead of, instead of just taking that and then trying to kick it out the way like Grant Williams might do, uh, or actually that Grant Williams has gotten better at this too, but Hauser was shooting right over those contests. And what I liked was He 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 called bullshit on it in the press conference afterwards. So screw you, Hauser, for not giving me the quote I wanted. But I I disagree with him on this. Uh, I think his mechanics are a little bit different and it might not be a purposeful mechanical change, but it does look different. And it was that last year he kept front rimming a lot of his contested threes because he would lean back a little bit. And then when you lean back, you're basically, you know, you're you're taking away from your power and you're making it more of a slingshot. So you're throwing it out the rim a little bit more. And so it seemed like he was leaning back a little bit more. And that's probably because he didn't feel comfortable and he was scared he was going to get a shot blocked. And so in these first couple games his shoulders are forward he looks more on balance and he's just shooting absolute lights out because it's all about confidence we saw that with new smith we're seeing it with hauser it's like these guys they've been working on their shot long enough their shots already fine it's really just about comfort and confidence
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover
1: And he certainly has a lot of confidence. That the, it feels like the people in the garden have a lot of confidence in him. they like they expect the ball, like you expect Sam Hauser to make that three uh, when he takes it, especially when it's open. I also think he's done a good job of cutting without the ball. Like uh, he he had some a couple, at least one layup in the in the Hornets game where he just kind of has timed it well. Um, speaking of like just improvements on the offensive end, Grant Williams has just showed some, like, dribble, dribble mood, dribble hesitation in transition yesterday, uh, which was pretty impressive. But he's just shown a lot more aggression when he catches the ball, uh, both in the half court and in, in transition. And it's just like, oh, yeah, players get better when they, uh, you know, are constantly working <laughs> on their games in the offseason. But it's definitely like, oh, Grant, Grant has added some things to his repertoire here. And I just think it's another reason to, you know, overreact and be excited.
2: I wonder how much mil- how many more millions he made on his extension talks with that one little Hezzy crossover because that him him breaking out a few of those moves and like the moves are cool but what what i think is a big development is he's no longer doing that kind of big man gallop stride dribble where he's shielding the ball because he's not comfortable handling it he's squaring up he's actually like kicking his legs behind him and running with the ball and so he's moving and he's getting to shots he can potentially hit we did see him try to take one of his righty floaters last night and it i think it almost hit the side of the backboard it didn't look pretty but he, he he still has to figure out how can he score on the inside but he's actually putting the ball on the floor, keeping his, his chest out towards the hoop, and that's allowing him to make better passes and to get deeper where he's really drawing the defense in. So if Grant Williams could still be a good shooter on the wings... Um, hopefully get out of the corners so we can space towards the top and like kind of get like a, you know, it, the, the Celtics don't want it so that the defense knows he's always going to be down in the corners pretty much. Like they want it to be more confusing to figure out where he is. Cause then whoever his man is gets a little bit more confused and it makes things even harder for the defense. But if he can just be able to dribble out of those wings when he gets the ball and make more complex plays or even get a shot like that makes a huge difference for the offense.
1: Yeah, and, and again, it's just reason to be excited about what this Celtics second unit can do. I don't like think there's many questions about the first unit. I mean, we saw Marcus Smart do some ri- ridiculous Marcus Smart-like just uh, things. Just awful, awful turnovers that really at this point uh, endear me more to Marcus, where it's like, I love <laughs> that you just tried this right now. Like, yeah, there was no reason to go behind the back there. Or, uh, you know, trying to throw a, an alley-oop off the backboard to to Jalen Brown when he could have just taken a layup – Wild move, but I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like there's no questions right now about the, the kind of the starting lineup other than like you, you hope that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart continue to get a little bit better themselves. But uh, I think a lot of the questions were about coming off the bench. In your watching one game on your phone at a wedding and then watching another <laughs> game in person – uh, do you have any takeaways about, I guess, the Jays or Marcus or Al Horford or or Derek White? It, it just feels like they've played pretty consistently with what you you they did in, the, in previous seasons.
2: I mean, White's shot looks a little bit better, right? And he's taking it yeah. a lot. He's Maybe taking it with more preseason. confidence, which is which is a good way to
1: start the season. It would be bad if he was like Derek uh, Finals version of Derek White. That's certainly good.
2: Yeah, if it's a conference finals version where he's a seventy nine percent shooter, that would be pretty good, but. I mean, so far the Jays look good. Uh, Tatum can't shoot, which is normal for Tatum. Um, you know, we know how it goes with Tatum. He's going to shoot twenty nine percent from three until January tenth, and he's going to shoot forty nine percent for the rest of the year and be you know finished fourth in the MVP race. So, uh, I- I'm not really concerned about anything I'm seeing so far. I asked JT after the game uh, against the Raptors about. He had this one move where I'm noticing he's facing up more. And the high post, although I guess for him, the high post is really the three point line, but he's facing up more. I guess what the difference is, it's out in the corners. And so he'll pivot face up against a guy instead of trying to back him down or dribble towards the middle of the floor. And he's hitting him with some like really quick jab steps and other kind of post moves. And they're just so much faster. And he's blowing guys away. Like it was one thing when he blew away Mason Plumley in that first game. It's like it's Mason Plumley. I forget who the defender was, but it was it was one of the Raptors, like quicker defenders in, uh, in, in that last game. And he said that his whole offseason priority was quicker moves, like quicker decisions, quicker moves. The dude looks really fast. And if he if he's able to figure out new ways to get into the paint where he's not putting up that floater anymore like that, that's huge for just making it more efficient and him getting to the line more because he he should be top 10 in the league in free throw attempts per game. I don't think that's unreasonable. I can't even remember where he was last year. He was he was in a decent spot, but not at that level yet. So I think he'll be fine. Jalen is looking pretty good on both sides of the ball. I mean, he's obviously been pretty lights out so far. His uh, his, his ball handling has gotten a little bit uh, cleaner, and his passes have gotten better. I wrote about the other day, he's doing this drill at practice where he has to You know, bend forward and cross over two balls in each hand, so he's like dribbling two balls together at the same time. And then they'll he'll have a defender right in front of him, who's usually Tony Dobbins, his main his main player development guy, and then another coach like Craig Lucianet or one of those other coaches. And they basically pop up in random spots down the court, and he has to pass it to them on command from like awkward angles. And it's training him to be able to one more comfortably throw passes with his left hand, which is something he's been working on for a long time, and just be more I think like have more control over his dribble when it's down low because we've seen so many times Jalen try to pull off some like kind of fancy move and he fumbles it away or he's keeping it low and it's too obvious where the ball is and someone could poke it away so that seems to be working because we've seen him get a few times now out of that kind of position and I'm seeing how the the drill is actually translating to the game itself
1: yeah and that that's like clearly the next step in in Jalen Brown's evolution and I think the thing the thing, the thing is a statement. Um, I think that the thing that I've been most impressed with Jalen Brown just across his entire career is um, his really – it feels like the embodiment of the Kaizen approach of just like incremental progress where he has gotten a little bit better every single year. And it feels like that's true from season two season uh, and from just like throughout uh, years – I guess maybe exception last year where it just felt like his, his dribbling and turnovers was like a huge issue, but like he does add a little bit something to his game every single year. I would say Jason Tatum does this as well. Just like Jason Tatum just started off with like a, as a much more polished player, but it feels like JB uh, just whether it's uh, shooting or getting to the paint more or just like a, a kind of that, that mid range pull up that he kind of adds new things to his game. And it definitely felt like, Playmaking, dribbling has been the, is kind of the the next part of that, and he's uh and that drill sounds like uh that'd be fascinating to watch. But it definitely it's it feels like uh, again wild overreaction. It's it's something that he's uh, clearly been working on in the offseason.
2: So he, I asked him for a story on Coman last night about some of the drills that they were working on, and he mentioned that he's trying to be a primary ball handler. What do you what do you think of the idea of him? One thinking that he could be a primary ball handler, and then do you think he could pull that off? And I mean, he's all—he's in his age twenty-seven season, right? So it's like he's entered his prime now. So is that still realistic for him?
1: I like the gumption. Uh, I like the uh, the growth mindset. I like the belief that he can be a primary ball handler. I would be skeptical. I think he is not in the top 5 players on the Celtics roster who I would want to be a primary ball handler for this team, but I do think those are the skill sets that would make him, his game take it to the next level and so if like that's the approach you need to have to kind of like work on playmaking, dribbling, passing, setting other guys up, I think that will uh, only benefit him, but like I don't think there's going to be a lot of lineups where it's like okay, it's Jalen in the bench right now. Like we're just running high pick and rolls for Jalen. Just like, go make a play like that. That's if that's what the Celtics second unit or like, that's what the Celtics offense is. I don't, I think things have gone wrong.
2: Yeah. And I'm sorry, he's age. He's turning 26 at the end of this month on the 24th. So happy early birthday for him. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big thing, right? As you look at the other like great wing duos in the league, like Giannis and Middleton, um, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, like the, the, the important thing there is that both of those guys can run the offense themselves. They're both great pick and roll playmakers on each side. And I mean, the Celtics have such good depth and they have such a great defensive system around those two stars that it makes up for the fact that Tatum right now is the only player you really trust to be the offensive hub. And Jalen isn't quite there yet. Jalen's Jalen's there as a score. Like he's a, he's definitely a superstar level score. He's just to be a superstar, you also have to be a, a great, A great or a really good playmaker who doesn't turn it over more than you get like your system turnover ratio has to be better than even and he's been pretty close to that so tatum's not dramatically better but you can you can see the difference between the way jalen or jason runs pick and roll and the way jalen does it like there's clearly another step for jalen to take but jalen's a better finisher and i think jalen's mid-range game is also better right now too um so like both of those guys are at a pretty comparable spot as to where their impact is. It's just that JT's advantage as a playmaker, I think kind of outweighs it.
1: Yeah. It feels like uh, Tatum just has a little bit more uh, vision uh, in terms of just knowing where everyone is on the court and decision-making. You talk about Tatum, just like getting into his moves quicker. I think it's just like, he sees the game a little bit quicker and just like knows when to when to make that right pass, like coming off that screen, or, or when mm-hmm. a, when a second guy's coming to him. Whereas it's not as fluid with uh, Jalen Brown, but I like good position to be in if you're the Celtics to have both of them on the court at the same time and you sprinkle in a little. Good. They're going to be a, a pretty solid squadron, I would have to say. Um, I, we're we're going to wrap up soon, but we have to talk about Kevin Gele. I mean, the guys, sure. the guy's electric. He jumps, he jumps on the floor for a loose ball, stands up, daps up the ref, uh, is totally in the zone, doesn't realize he dapped up the ref. Um, he's shooting threes because he wants to. Uh, why not when he's open? Not scared. I have no idea if he's going to make the roster. <laughs> Clearly, Noah Vonley is getting the, uh, more of an opportunity just in terms of playing with the regular uh, starters or more of the rotation players right now. But, man, Kavangeli is electric. I'm rooting for him, and I know you have a, a story on him coming up. So what has been, what has your been impression of the, uh, the Cabin experience?
2: Yeah, he's fascinating. I mean, he better make the roster cause that dude is a great interview. I really want to talk to him more this year, but, uh, the piece I think should be out Friday on the athletic. And we, we got into his, him learning how to be a pick and roll player. And, just all the intricacies that it takes just to literally just a set of screen and roll. Like it's way more complicated than people probably think because it looks simple, but he's been learning that process of like how truly complicated it is. And we did see some improvement where like in the first game, he kept setting screens and then rolling and his point guard would literally run into him because he doesn't know how the timing works. And we saw some progress on that against Toronto my, my my big thing with him, there's two big things. It's like, one, can he learn how to roll into a sp- place where he's not taking up space and clogging things up? Because that is happening a lot. And then on defense, can he get his positioning right so that he's not jumping out of the play? And that's happening a lot, whether he's doing Rob Williams role where he's helping or he's you know sitting on the weak side, he's kind of playing that zone. And the D, it looked like Charlotte, their whole thing was we're going to try to bring his guy up from the corner, which is what teams at the Rob Williams last year. And that was really confusing him. So he's figuring that out. And then when he's a pick and roll. Right now, he's dropping so far back that he's just letting the ball handler get wherever he wants. And, like, LaMelo kept taking advantage of him where he would – like, LaMelo, everyone knows LaMelo. He gets to about the 12-foot mark, and then he crosses to the middle of the paint, and he takes, like, a sideways floater, and he hits it every time. And Fee just kept giving him that shot over and over again. So I think Fee's trying to learn the technique with them. He needs to know the personnel a little bit better. Uh You know, I I think the big thing that I took away from that story is that he kind of understood that he wasn't working hard enough and he wasn't playing smart enough. And he was really honest about it. There's some really interesting quotes in there about it. Uh, But he talked about how we kind of realized he was basically being a dumbass. And that realizing his talent is just not going to get him anywhere in the NBA. If he's not playing smart, and he's not working smart. So I, I think that he's one of those guys that like they need to invest some time into him. And obviously he's on a two way. So it's not, he's not going to get cut. I presume like he's already on a two way. It's I don't think he's going to get promoted either um, because Noah Vonley might make this roster. And I'm curious what you think of that. Cause I I haven't liked what I've seen so far out of him. I thought he sucked in that first game, but apparently the, I talked to people off the record uh, with the team and they're like, actually we like him even off the record. We liked what he did. And then uh, the game against Toronto, he only played like a very short stint, but he actually made some nice plays in that one.
1: He definitely looked better in Toronto than, or against Toronto than he did in that first game. I'm surprised to see here that people uh, liked his performance. I just didn't think he was great. Like, at this point, we're talking about the fifteenth man on the roster. If it goes to Noah Vonley, then uh, cheers to him. It's not like there's other guys who are like, man, it would be a shame to see Broderick Thomas not made. Like, there's not, there's no one out there. It's just like, oh my god. Uh, yeah, I don't think Justin absolutely- Jackson's
2: going to make it at this rate either. It doesn't look like he just can. They, I know that they came into camp thinking like we need to see him show he could be physical and be a scorer, and that's not happening right now. So I feel like Jackson's probably out at this point.
1: Yeah, he didn't make the one open three that I saw him take, so I mean how is he gonna sustain himself <laughs> on, on this roster?
2: That's what he's uh, usually good at.
1: Yeah, that's that's what he came in to do. So uh we will see. We got two more games left in the preseason before real legitimate basketball. Um you know what who knows if Jay King will ever return. Uh it's 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 very it's questionable at this point because he seems to just love Greece, which I would have not guess. But every time he sends a, tweets a picture from like a Santorini sunset, I was like, all right, maybe the kid's European now. Um, but, Jared, the question I have for you is what should I think about my Brighton goals going up against Tottenham Hotspur this weekend?
2: Uh, I think that uh, Harry Kane's probably going to score two goals, but Brighton's going to have a late goal in the 90th minute on a set piece to tie it up and get the draw.
1: I think that's fair. I would say that is potable and I would uh conclude with the summation that um anything is potable.
2: On the Athletic NBA show. So that's not that's probably not accurate is it? <laughs> eh.